Hey everyone, this is Van Cochran. I wanted to introduce my message to you, Foundations. In it, we talk about the fact that the real foundation of our faith is relationship with Jesus, and the intellectual side fits into relationship. We move from there to talking about deconstruction and much of what's happening in among many Christians in today's uh, culture, Christian culture, and really gave some highlights on how to respond to a friend who's in a crisis of faith and deconstructing, and as well some loving challenges to those who are in the process of rethinking their faith. Morning, everyone. Yeah, I want to stand here and just say Alpha is awesome. It really, it really lays the foundations of faith. And uh, whether you want to review the foundational things of the faith or whether you are moving towards faith and you just want to explore them and understand them, Alpha is the place for you to come. Now, it just so happens that my message today is called Foundations, and we're going to talk about some of the foundational uh, things. Where is our foundation in, in faith? But first, I have a couple of jokes. <laughs> Isn't that so good? You know my jokes are so good, you laugh just when you hear that. Yeah. So there were these two elderly ladies, good friends, driving down the street, and uh, the driver just blew right through a red light. And the passenger thought, well, I should say something, but I don't want to embarrass her. So she'll stop at the next one. She just blew right through the next red light. And so her friend said, "Uh, Flo, do you realize you just went right through two red lights? And Flo got a a kind of a a concerned look on her face. And she looked at her friend and said, was I driving? (laughs) Okay, it has to have been the same two ladies had... um, They've known each other for 40 years, and they're playing cards together one day. And the one says to the other, you know, I know you're one of my best friends. I've known you for 40 years. Please don't be offended or mad at me for this, but I can't remember your name. Can you please tell me your name? And the other lady looked at her, just glared at her for a minute. minute passed. Two minutes passed. Three minutes passed. And then she said, how soon do you need to know? All right, so we're going to talk about foundations today, and, and, and to ask this question, what is the foundation of the faith? You know, where, is our, where does our faith rest, and how do we get to that place that we say, yeah, this is the foundation of my faith? And I want to start with a Bible verse, 1 Corinthians 3.11, which really clarifies the answer for this. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says this, says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So I want to say this at the outset. The foundation of our faith is found not in an intellectual argument, because if that's where it is, when a better argument comes along, our faith is going to plummet. It's not found in an intellectual argument. Now, intellect is good. God gave us intellect. If it wasn't for intellect, we wouldn't have penicillin or cell phones or jet engines, so many things that intellect has provided for us. And, and we should be, we want to be intellectual. We don't, we don't want to eschew thinking. We don't want to push it aside. But we don't want to have it be the foundation of our faith either because it's in the mystery of actually knowing someone that you can't see and you can't touch that our faith rests the mystery of having a relationship, a real relationship with Jesus Christ. 
That's the foundation of our faith. And yet we've all known people who stood beside us, who worshiped with us, who made the same professions of faith we made. And over the course of time or because of something that came into their life, they turned away from the faith. Many believers today are questioning and struggling through what they actually believe and they're rethinking the the core teachings of Christianity. And rethinking things and being open to new thought is not a bad thing. Questioning is not a bad thing. You know, if it's done with a good heart, it can be one of the most healthy things any of us can engage in. Just ask ourselves the question, why do I believe this? But Today, well, it, it, this whole thing of questioning, of, of, of rethinking, this, is, this isn't new. It's not bad and it's not new. It's been going on for centuries. But for t- today, in today's society, we have a name for it. It's called deconstruction. And people are saying they're deconstructing their faith. And what, what I believe they mean by that is they're taking their faith and they're taking a component of it, like is the Bible true or is the Trinity real or is Jesus really the Son of God? And they're breaking the pieces apart and examining it to try to decide if it's intellectually tenable to them. Now, the, the roots of deconstruction, and I think anytime we use a term like this, it's important to know where, where it came from, the actual roots of it. The roots of deconstruction uh, come, go back to the 60s, the 1960s. And it's a philosophy. It's an actual, literal, philosophical approach to literature. And in deconstruction, the basic thesis is that words are complex. And they're so complex that it's really difficult to know with certainty what any word means. And so you take one word that has six possible definitions, place it, put it beside another word that has a dozen possible definitions, and then maybe another word that that has half a dozen possible definitions, and for them all to fit together into a a cohesive thought that you can know for certain is the thought of that sentence or of that paragraph, according to deconstruction, that's impossible, because words are too have, have, have too much depth of meaning to them. In fact, the Cambridge Dictionary defines it like this. Deconstruction is a detailed examination of a text in order to show there is no fixed meaning, but that it can be understood in a different way by each reader. Now you can see how that as a philosophy started in the 60s and, and really has permeated our culture today. Because there's so much thinking that it's, well, what is your truth? Well, my truth is different than yours, but they're both equally true. And from a respect perspective, there's something there. I want to respect what other people think. And I I want to listen. I want to honor. But truth as individual truth for every person to decide what it is, is is not a tenable approach to life from my perspective. And I really don't think that most people today, if when you read articles about Christians saying they're deconstructing their faith, I don't think that they're really applying that all of the principles of the of the theory of deconstruction to it. I think they're just pulling their faith apart, examining it, looking at it, trying to figure out what it does mean and if it is if it is cohesive enough for them to actually believe it. Now lately there have been headline stories about prominent Christians and Christian leaders who have abandoned their faith. 
they went through this phase of deconstruction and came out the other side and said that they don't believe. Some form of deconstruction. Uh, I went through at least two phases where, that you could, you could identify as a form of deconstruction. The first one happened in 1991 or 92. I had been a pastor for 12, 13 years, been a Christian for about 20 years. And I went away on a personal retreat. I went to a cabin um, out, in the, out in the woods all by myself. And I remember the first night there I sat down to read the Bible and I was going to read the Upper Room Discourse which is a part of the Bible of Jesus talking to his apostles the night before he died. And as I'm reading it, this thought came into my mind. How do you know this is true? Now it didn't just flit through my mind, it landed like a 10-ton rock with a thud. And I couldn't shake it. It was overwhelming. It was just overwhelming. And I spent that night in despair. Hardly slept. Because how, how, how can I know this is true? I've given my whole life to this. And here I am sitting here, and, and I can't say that I know it's true. And I hardly slept that night, and I got up the next morning, and it was a beautiful day like, we, like yesterday, where the humidity was low, the sun was shining, and I just got up and I started walking in the woods, walking down country roads. And, and, just, and, and I prayed, God, if you're there, I need help. You know, if this is real, I need help. I don't know what to do right now. Because right now, I don't think you're real. And, and, and it was such a struggle, it's such a dark place, even for those hours that it lasted. And I remember I walked off into the woods and I sat on a little rise where I could look across a meadow and see the trees and everything was so beautiful. And I was just saying, is God real? And, and this thought came to me, this is so complex. It's all so complex. Does it make more sense for me to think it all just happened somehow by chance and that there's no, there's no creation point for material life, material, just the matter that we live with? Or does it make more sense to me to think there's a God who created it? And I thought that through and I thought, you know, to me, it really does make more sense that there's a God who created this. And so I said, okay, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm with that, that you are real. But then I thought, well, there's so much evil and pain in the world, so much heartache. Is God good or is God evil? I really, that's what I'm wrestling with. You know, can I, can I say God's good or is God really evil? And this is all deceptive. And I thought that through and, and I thought, you know, there's too much beauty in the world for me to say God's evil. Because if God was pure evil, he would not be able to even conceive of beauty. And, and I thought, I can, I can understand a good God who for reasons beyond my, my grasp allows evil to exist. I can, I can understand that. That makes sense. But this whole idea that God would be evil or bad or unconcerned, unconcerned would be the same as evil in many respects. And so I thought, well, okay, there is a God, and he has to be good. And I'm doing all this just on, on what they call the preponderance of evidence. 
you know, what, what seems right to me, what satisfies my heart right now because my heart was aching. What satisfies my heart? And then I thought, well, if God's real and he's good, and, that, and so what I did at that point was I just walked for hours and I reviewed all the world religions. And I thought through each one. I'd studied them in seminary and in other, other places. And, and I just reviewed them. And I thought, okay, that one... That's, I, I, can't, I can't conceive of that being right. This one doesn't explain this part of the world situation. That one doesn't explain that part of the world situation. And I arrived at this, Christianity with a creator God who, who created us against whom we rebelled and who chose to allow history, created history to run its course anyway, but who redeemed us who has a kingdom that's coming into this world, that all made sense to me. That all explained the whole thing to me. And so I ended that, I started that day on a very dark note. I ended it on a, a pretty solid, solid footing. And I, I think God even took me through that. Um, I'm, I'm not saying that, that God generated it. I, I, now I look back, I think it was spiritual attack. But there was something else coming because a year or two later, I went through another form of deconstruction, and that was deconstructing my belief about the Holy Spirit. Because for years, I believed and I taught that the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy, the whole, the gifts of the Holy Spirit don't exist today. They ended with the apostles, that there's no healing, there's no tongues, there's no prophecy. And I taught that, and I believed that. And in the beginning of 1993, a friend of mine challenged me about the Holy Spirit. He didn't challenge me about the gifts of the Spirit. He just thought I didn't teach enough about the Holy Spirit. And just out, purely out of respect for him, I said, all right, it, this man loves me. I respect him. I'm going to consider this. So I spent the better part of that year reassessing and tearing apart and looking at my beliefs on the Holy Spirit, I had two good friends that were pastors, neither one of them charismatic, but just good-hearted guys that listened and talked this all through with me. And by the end of that year, it was actually December 5th of 1993, I made the official decision that I believed that the gifts of the Holy Spirit were alive today. And I could no longer say they were, they were gone. I could no longer say the Holy Spirit doesn't touch people in a profound, felt way. And so that was a form of deconstruction. Well, it, it led us to where we are today here in this church, but it was a form of deconstruction, of, of looking at something. And I share these things with you because I want you to know that I don't think that it's necessarily bad to, to question things. It's not bad. It's not a bad thing. What I want to do is talk to you about how can you, how can you question your beliefs without falling off a theological cliff in the process, okay? Does that make sense? So a little bit of background thinking on this. Proverbs twenty two twenty eight says this. Do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. Now that's not a law it's a wisdom principle. Don't move the ancient boundaries which your fathers have set. It doesn't mean you can't ever move the boundary. But what it's saying is, don't do that hastily. Don't do that without really thinking it through. Don't do that just because you think your generation is wiser and smarter than all the previous generations that have come before you. You know, we sure fall into that, don't we? Generational hubris. 
And so, and so don't go after that. Uh, don't go after that hastily. And wisdom says there are core beliefs that have kept the church alive and the message of the gospel moving ahead for 2,000 years. Don't cast those aside easily. You know, don't just say, well, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to question them. In fact, here's what I would say. Um, don't intentionally go after those issues. That's what I want to say. And I'm going to tell you what they are right now. But if you're a Christian, don't intentionally say, well, I'm, I'm just going to think through, is the Trinity real? Or I'm going to think through, is Jesus really God's son? Now, unless those are just the honest doubts that you have. If they are, where, wherever they come from, then you have to pursue that. Does that make sense? So you hear what I'm saying. I'm saying it's not, it's not an intentional thing that I'm going to go after those foundational issues. But if one of those issues just is the thing that has crashed into my conscious mind and my reality and I can't shake it, then I do have to deal with that. And that means I have to think it through. But what they are, let's just name a few of them, okay? There, there are basically five, five categories. The first one is the veracity and authority of Scripture, so the veracity and authority of Scripture. If you don't have that, then um, that's how we know Jesus existed. That's how we know who he is, who he was, who he calls us to be. Second is the virgin birth of Christ and his perfect life. If it wasn't a virgin birth, then Jesus was just another human being. Because when a man and a woman come together, they create a new human being. That's the way God designed it. So virgin birth was essential for someone who already existed to become human. It had to be a different type of a birth, the virgin birth. Third, the Trinity and the deity of Christ. If Jesus isn't really God, then his life had no more meaning than anybody else's life. But because he was God's son and he is deity himself, when he died on the cross, his life had eternal value. Therefore, it could pay for all of the sins that have been committed by all humanity for all time. So you see, these things are truths that are foundational to the very, very truth of Christianity, to being a Christian. The cross, the resurrection, the ascension of Christ, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the return of Christ. These are like anchors. Okay, they're like anchors. And you, there are a lot of things you can question. And as I said before, if you're, if you're like in a crisis of faith and you're questioning these things, then I'm not, saying that, I'm not saying that you should not think them through or you shouldn't question them. Because a crisis of faith leads you to do that, just like it did me that night, that day. But what I do want to say is this. You take this, these anchors and you drive them into the ground, tie a good rope to them, put on a climbing harness, and then you can, you can go over the edge of the cliff and explore all you want. And you can question things that could just be tradition. In fact, I would say this, there are two types of deconstruction. One is two levels of deconstruction. One is trying to discern where the traditions of man have become authoritative, but they're not really in Scripture. Okay? Jesus said this in Mark 7, 8. He said, you ignore God's precepts and substitute your own traditions. And so we, we all have things that are secondary or third level issues that have been taught to us that just might not be biblical. 
at one point I had to go through uh, my belief about the pre-trib rapture. If you know what that is, the belief that there's going to be seven years of turmoil at the uh, end of the age, a seven-year tribulation, and the Christians are going to be taken out of the world ahead of that. That's the pre-trib rapture. Now, the group I was part of, not only did they insist that there were no gifts of the Holy Spirit, they also insisted that the pre-trib rapture was the right theology, and if you didn't believe it, you couldn't be part of that group. And so I had to, I had to wrestle through that. And I finally came to the conclusion that there's really no biblical evidence for a pre-trib rapture. And I want to have a biblical theology. Pre-trib rapture might have some arguments behind it, but it's, there's not biblical teaching that says this is going to happen. And so I had to cast that aside and say, I, I, that's no longer part of my theology. Now, if you ever heard of a guy named Charles Swindoll, he's a famous preacher, I think he's still preaching. One time he kind of reflected this thinking when he said publicly, he said, I'm pre-trib and I hope God is too. <laughs> so he was saying, this really isn't based on solid biblical truth. But there are other things that could be tradition that, that we need to be thinking about and, and, and be willing to question. But there's a deeper thing that can happen. And, and that is what I would call a crisis of faith, what I experienced that night. Uh, most people don't, uh, who experience a crisis of faith don't settle it in one day like I did. And, and so I don't mean to trivialize anyone here or anyone here who has a friend who's been in a crisis of faith for weeks or months or years even. And so the crisis of faith is when there is doubt as to the whole thing. Can any of it be true? Can you trust the Bible? Can you, can, can you trust that Jesus, this virgin birth thing, how can you possibly believe that? You know, think, thought questions like that, that strike right at the core of, if you don't believe these things, then the gospel message crumbles. It falls apart. And, and I just have two practical questions to ask regarding this whole thinking around crisis of faith. The first one is, how should I respond to a friend who's in a crisis of faith? Okay, I have a friend. That friend is sharing with me their doubts. How do I respond to them? Well, first of, the, first of all this, um, don't panic. Don't freak out. You know, a lot of us as believers, we feel like it's our job to fix other people. And if someone expresses doubts or fears, we feel like, oh my, I've got to change this. And we kind of like panic. And, and we, and we get, get um, almost offended by the other person's doubts. Don't do that. Look, this person's sharing their heart with you. They're sharing a very deep personal struggle with you. And it's no fun to have those doubts. It's, 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 it's really, it's really, despair is no fun. And so don't, don't just assume that this person's trying to be obstinate and you need to shock them back into reality. But listen to their heart. Don't assume you understand. Listen to their heart. It's relationship, all right? So if I can't be relational with this person that has doubts, how can I expect them to, 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 to hear anything I have to say if, if I can't honor their, their heart and their doubts? And realize this, God made them a free agent to make their own decisions. That was God's decision to do that. Don't try to upend that by you trying to control them. 
Are you trying to make the decision for them? Are you trying to twist their arm or force them or argue them into it? Because our faith is not built on arguments. If it is, then when the better argument comes along, faith is going to crumble. Our faith is built on a living relationship with Jesus Christ, knowing someone that you can't see. It's a mystery, but it's true. When you know him, that's what the faith is built on. And then from there, we think through the whole thing. But we think through it in the context of relationship. If I, if I have questions about my wife, I don't just stand back and ask those questions and try to answer them myself and just think through. I'm going to go to her and I'm going to talk to her about it. Now I know with God that's different because if a person's in a crisis of faith, they're not sure God even is real or that he's listening to them or he cares. But still, it is relational. And so we, we, it's not our job to try to force them. Ask them if they just need to talk or do they want you to respond and if it feels right, you can uh, say this, say something like this. That's an important question. It's a good question. And I, I don't know the answers for you, but I can tell you the answer that satisfies my heart. And you see, once again, it's relationship, it's heart. It's not me trying to convince them intellectually. But it's just, I'm just going to share with you, here's the answer that satisfied my heart. And just leave it at that. And so what we want to do is the person who's going through a crisis of faith, be kind and gentle with them because they're going through a crisis. Respect and honor them as a free agent person before God. And, and don't argue, don't debate, but when the time is right, share with them how important the question is and the answers that satisfied your heart and just leave it at that. It's the best thing you can do. Now, what if, what, what if you're experiencing a crisis of faith right now? What if you are? Well, there are a few questions I want to ask that I think would help, help you along the way with this. And the first question is this. It is, check your heart. Just check your heart. If God is real, would you follow him? Are you going through this process because you want to know he's real and if he is real, I'm going to give him my whole life to him. If this is true, then I'm going to commit every ounce of energy for the rest of my life to this message of the gospel. Because Jesus said this in John 7, 17. He said, anyone who is willing to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or merely my own. So... It's, it comes back to the heart. And, and by this, I'm not saying that the person that is in a crisis of faith has a bad heart or that they're in rebellion against God. I'm not saying that. Because uh, I don't know. It, it could be that they're in a crisis of faith because they lost a child and they're, just, they're going through the pain of grief and they're asking God, where were you? I, we don't know what's behind it all, but, but, but this, this is, would be for the person that is going through a crisis of faith. It'll help you to clarify in your own mind what, what is going on. And so that first point would be, um, am I willing? Am I saying, yeah, I really want to know Jesus. If, if he's real, I'm going to follow him. And you see, notice what Jesus said. Anyone is willing, that's the heart, then he will know. That's the intellect. And so this whole idea of knowing is connected to relationship 
And, and sometimes I think even we need to recognize this, that when we're talking about truth that revolves around a person that we can know but we can't see or touch, there's a, there's a different type of knowing here. And is there a different way to actually know truth apart from analyzing it, categorizing it, and, and argumentation? And I would say there is a different way to know truth. And if I am trying to use just simple logic methods to understand truth about God, then I might be making a mistake. Just suggest that. I might be making a mistake. I might be making the same mistake as if I'm trying to understand quantum physics, but I'm using Newtonian physics to try to understand quantum physics. Okay, if you don't know that, Newtonian physics is what we've lived with, most of us grew up with. Quantum physics is a different world. In quantum physics, they experience things like molecules will disappear and reappear somewhere else, and they don't know how it happened. And so you can't use this system to evaluate that system. And so to, to understand that there, there, it, there, there are heart issues in me coming to understand the truth it is an important part of working through a crisis of faith. I would say this, examine your thinking. Are you seeking absolute certainty? Uh, certainty is kind of like a, um, an idol in our culture today. I think it's because we have so much information available and so many experts that people feel like they have to speak with absolute certainty. But uh, remember the man that came to Jesus asking for his son to be healed? And Jesus said, well, all things are possible to them have faith. And the man said, I believe, help my unbelief. Did he have absolute certainty? No, he didn't. Jesus said, all, all it takes is a grain of mustard seed type faith. Is, does that speak to absolute certainty? No, it doesn't. And so th this idea that you have to have absolute certainty and the quest for absolute certainty cr creates fear. And fear, unless you're talking about rattlesnakes, fear is not a good thing, okay? <laughs> fear is not good. Fear messes up our thinking. It messes up our hearts. I, I just want to say this, that um, the quest for absolute certainty will just eat you alive. It will. I used to have this purest mentality and a purest philosophical approach to the spiritual life. When I first started preaching, almost every time before I'd go up to preach, this voice would come into my mind and say, why are you doing this? Are your motives pure? Are you doing this just because you like to tell stories? You like to be up front? And of course, I like to tell stories and I like to be up front. That's just part of the gifting that I have. But then I'd be thinking, well, am I doing this just for me or for God? And that's not a good way to start a sermon with those doubts. And one day that hit me, and th this was just the enemy shooting these. Th one day that hit me, and I finally came to a solution. I, God gave me wisdom, and I said this, I don't know what my motivations are. Yeah, I do like to stand up front and speak. I do like to tell stories. But I know I'm here at this point in my life because God called me to be here, and I said yes. And I'm, I, can't, I, can't, I can't come up with anything better than that. And so that whole quest for certainty of motives, I was able to break free from it and, and to live, live in greater freedom. So the quest for certainty uh, is, is something that will, it will, it will really, it'll just frustrate you to no end throughout life. And then this, I want to say this, if you are in a crisis, uh, look at your past. How did you slip into a crisis? 
Or, or did it just happen suddenly like that did with me where that thought just boomed into my mind? That could be. Could it be that there was a tragedy in your life and you're still trying to sort through it? And if, if God is good, why did this happen? If that's the case, then, boy, God bless you. I just pray for God's peace and comfort to come to you. Maybe you were hurt or disappointed by other believers and bitterness crept in. Bitterness is like fear. It screws up everything. <laughs> you know, if, if I allow bitterness in my heart, then I just, I don't think right. Just, just with fear, I don't think right if I do. Maybe you feel shamed by our culture. You know, some people just feel shamed because of the way our culture presents Christians, all Christians, as narrow-minded, bigoted, and ignorant. Haters, not lovers. And, 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 and you're, 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 you're responding to that and thinking, well, is this true? Do I really want to identify with this whole group of people called Christian? I just think that, um, that understanding where it started can, can be a help to you. I'm not trying to say for anybody that's in a, a crisis of faith that it's simple or it's easy or it's going to be settled in 24 hours. I'm not trying to say that. Uh, I'm not trying to say there are simple answers but I do believe the questions I've asked will help you uh, keep your quest honest and help you find an honest answer, whatever you conclude, an honest answer. So the three questions, check your heart. Is it all true? If it's all true, would you really freely follow God? Examine your thinking. Are you seeking certainty? Look at your past. How did you slip into a crisis of faith? Anything you can gain, maybe traction-wise, from answering these questions, I, I pray will be a help to you. But here's, some, here's some, what I want to end with. Even if you're in a crisis of faith and you're not sure God's real, still pray. Be honest, but still pray. That, that morning I got up, I said, God, I don't know if you're there. I don't know if I'm just talking to myself right now, but if you are, I need help. Just be honest and pray. And, and, and be honest with that. I don't know what I believe, God. I don't know if you're there, whatever level you're at in that. And then, then you know, God, if you're real, I need help. I'm, I'm filled with doubt. Uh, and if you can pray this, I want to believe you. I want to believe in you. I want to believe you're real and I'm struggling. If you are real, I want to serve you. If you are. If you are, if, if you can convince me of that, that you're real, and I see that, I want to serve you. Or, God, I don't understand why this terrible tragedy happened in my life. God, is it okay if my, if my faith is based on a preponderance of evidence rather than absolute certainty? God, I want to forgive and let go of bitterness. Help me to do that. God, if you're really there, I don't want to be a narrow-minded, unloving, or be afraid what people might think of me. So let's pray. Father, give us gracious hearts. Give us kind hearts. For those of us who are here who aren't struggling in a crisis of faith right now, just give us honest hearts. Give us honor for people who might be in a crisis of faith and for any friend who trusts us enough to reveal that. Give us the wisdom of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come, show us how to respond to them in a gentle, loving way.
an honoring way that doesn't minimize or feel like we're better than because we're not struggling. Nothing like that, Lord. We know that's not true. Any here who are in a crisis of faith right this moment, I ask in Jesus' name, Father, uh, Father, you, you're not mad at them. I want to say this. God's not mad at you, okay? If you're in a crisis of faith, God's not mad at you. It, the Bible says he has already reconciled the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. So if the Bible's true, God's not mad at you. I believe it is. So Father, um, help anyone who is experiencing a crisis of faith just to call out to you in honesty, it being honest about where they're at, And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would speak, that you would reveal who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.